Good morning, church. We're in uh, Luke 14 today, continuing the series of Charge to Keep, as Jerry said. I'm going to be very blunt with you, as Jerry already said, that the charge to keep today is humility. The book of Luke was written by the same author as the book of Acts, and Luke is sort of Jesus going into Jerusalem, and Acts is, is the church spreading away from Jerusalem. And here we have another familiar scene uh, for Jesus with the Pharisees who are trying to trap him in his words. So Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. One Sabbath when he, Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him, and he healed him, and he sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, So that when the host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest They also invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Let's pray. Merciful, loving God, you've given us your word for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray that our hearts would receive your word, and that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In our world today, the biggest parties that we go to are weddings. And while the wedding ceremony is more significant event in terms of the relationship, in terms of covenant, in terms of worship, by far more time and more money are spent on the reception because that's the party. And here we see Jesus going to a party, and yes, it is thrown by a Pharisee who is pretty strict and law-upholding, but it is still a party. But you know what I'm glad for? At wedding receptions, we get place cards. And so, If you've been to a wedding reception recently, I'm sure you've played this game that I play all the time. 
You walk up to the table, you see the, the triangular folded pieces of paper, you notice they're alphabetical, you quickly find your name, and then you hover and linger just a little bit longer because you're paying attention to numbers. You're trying to see who it is that you have to sit with, right? That's the beauty of the big party is we've got place cards. We know we, where we are supposed to sit. But if you've ever been to a party or a dinner that is just a dinner and it's just one house and it's just a table's worth of people, it gets a little bit more awkward. You're sitting around, you're playing games, and then the host says, all right, it's time for dinner, and you go to the dining room table. Where do you go? Well, here it is, practicality in the Bible. Jesus tells us, go sit at the foot of the table as far away from the host as you can. Why? Because if you sit at the head and someone like Tom Hanks, and the reason I say Tom Hanks is because he's like generally the universally most loved person in the world. He just makes good movies and he stays out of the news, right? So, so if Tom Hanks walks in, you get to take the walk of shame because you were at the top and he's going to sit up at the top now. And because the host isn't going to embarrass himself by telling everybody, get up, move down one seat. He's not going to do that. And then Jesus also says another lesson. If you're going to throw a party, make sure you do it with the right intentions. Make sure you're not discriminating against those that can't pay you back. Invite someone who is an outcast to, enjoy, to join you at your party. And at first glance, it seems like, okay, these are great practical party etiquette lessons. Dale Carnegie could have put them in how to win friends and influence people. They're just easy. We can easily just apply them to our lives and they will keep us from looking silly in front of people if we ever have to walk down or they will make us look charitable in front of other people. But this is the Word of God and surely it has more than just practical party applications. And so my hope is at the end of the day you will remember that it is more than just morality and it is more than just a practical lesson. My hope is that you'll recognize that because of Jesus' example, we should humble ourselves. Look at verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. So when you're tempted to exalt yourself, be humble so you won't be humiliated. We can all envision this parable. It's a pretty simple mental picture that we have in our heads, whether it's our own dining room or whether it's the Downton Abbey dining room or whether you are picturing where Jesus is and in that room. You can see this table. And whether it's you that is sitting at the head of the table and has to take that walk of shame or whether it's somebody else, you can feel that knot in your stomach, that shameful, oh man, that's got to stink. We used to... uh, go backpacking with the youth group and uh, we'd walk all day and and we'd have a common meal together at dinner and Jerry and the other leaders would make a common pot dinner and then we'd pray and then we'd assign who gets to eat first and usually it was the the girls that got to go first and then the people who struggled for most of the day got to go next but before we could even put a, a spoonful of food on that first plate we had this group of kids that would say I call first seconds Now, Jerry is a good, godly man, and those kids never actually got seconds. So, but we do that sometimes. I do that. I call first seconds. We look out for ourselves, and oftentimes we do it at the expense of another person. 
But let's take this parable outside the realm of dinner. How is it that we lift ourselves up amongst other people? What are those circumstances where we compare ourselves and we think that we deserve more than that person? Do you ever look at someone else's salary and say, I work so much harder than them? Why do I make so much less? Do you ever compare the size of your neighbor's house to yours? The Bible is filled with messages of humility. Proverbs 29, 23, once pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Ezekiel 21, 26, exalt that which is low and bring low that which is exalted. Matthew 18, 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. James 4.10, humble yourselves therefore before the Lord and he will exalt you. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. See, humility recognizes that God is God and we are not. If you put yourself at the top, the only direction you have to go is down. But if you put yourself at the bottom, the only direction you have to go is up. It's like the text that Jerry read earlier out of 1 Samuel. Jesse's older sons were there. They were ready. They They were there for the sacrifice, but David wasn't. He was out working. He was tending the flock. He wasn't ready to meet the prophet. But who did God anoint? the working person, the youngest, the humble. So look at what Jesus says at the end of his commentary on their rushing to get the best spot. It's not just a command to go take the lowest spot. It, it, it comes with this piece of wisdom. It's not quite a promise, but this piece of wisdom that, that we should ponder. Why does he suggest that you take the lowest spot? So when the host comes, he may say, friend, move up higher. See, when we take the seat at the bottom, we are able to more easily sit quietly and listen. We're able to be humble and we are able to wait. When you recognize you're standing at the bottom, you have shown that you see your inability. By putting yourself away from the host, your voice is not going to be heard by the host. And so you have put yourself in this place of submission. But if the host desires for you to come closer to him, if if he wants to lift you up, he will lift you up. He will invite you. He will walk you to your proper place and tell someone else to move down. And it doesn't take much to see the analogy that Jesus is using here. God, the host. When we take the lowest spot, it shows our ability to be quiet before him and wait instructions. He desires his leaders to be humble. Then when he is ready, if you quiet yourself, if you humbly await his instructions, if you consider others better than yourself, if you acknowledge his sovereignty, he will show you to a higher position. See, when a person of power loses his quietness and humility before God, and he gives himself a higher place than what God has given him, Jesus tells him he's going all the way back down to the bottom. But God uses the humble. So consider others better than yourself. 
If you're in a position of leadership and authority, check your motives, check your attitude. Has God really put you there? Is he continuing to use your ministry and your leadership as a blessing to other people? Are you falsely practicing humility so you can maintain that seat? Or, if you're on the bottom side, are you falsely practicing humility so that you can be lifted up? Or are you truly humbling yourself, putting others above yourself, waiting, willing to stay low, but waiting to be exalted? So when, you tempt, when you're tempted to exalt yourself, be humble so you won't be humiliated. Jesus then turns his attention to the, the man who threw the party. In verses 13 and 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and he and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. <clears throat> a quick aside. If you read uh, verse 12, there's two questions that I asked myself that we're going to just address real quickly. Didn't the man actually invite the man with dropsy? Right? Because there's a man with dropsy there, and is Jesus saying, why didn't he invite it? No. Because verse 7, Jesus says to the, uh, Jesus told the parable to those who were invited. And so, while the Pharisees probably planted this man with dropsy there to test Jesus, they wouldn't have invited him to dinner. And then your second question might be, is Jesus saying that we shouldn't invite our friends and family to dinner? It's a big question. But the answer to that is no, because if we didn't invite our friends and family to dinner, we would be excluding them from our ministry as well. But if we remain exclusive to those people, our friends, our family, who can repay us, we are missing out on the blessing that comes from true charity. So back to the second point, when you're tempted to exalt others, consider exalting the humble. And one way we can make sure that we are not exalting ourselves is by being sure that we are looking after the humble, by befriending uh, people in different social situations, social standings. By befriending them, our hearts are changed. Those, those conversations that are real awkward at the beginning become more natural, and they become more productive. Our students went to Atlanta this summer uh, to work at Safe House, which is a homeless ministry. And uh, one of the great traditions that I, I love at Safe House, on Mondays, they tell all the kids that got off the bus to go up the hill to Woodruff Park and invite the homeless people in Woodruff Park to, to lunch. And Woodruff Park is about a block and a half long. It's a big green space, and it's got about 200 homeless people sitting around playing chess, wasting away a day wasting the day away. And our kids go and talk to them and invite them to lunch. And at about one o'clock, everybody starts to come back down. But before these people can get their grilled cheese sandwiches, our kids are putting on gloves and washing these people's feet. A couple of the, the testimonies from, from these kids. Between serving people food, washing feet, and just communicating, I got a chance to get out of my comfort zone. I noticed I started actually wanting to help others instead of feeling obligated. Another kid says, I'd always seen the homeless population as a group of individuals who had made bad choices and suitably had to face the repercussions. 
The faith that many had, though, in God throughout their struggle was the most astounding thing to, worship, to witness. It was beautiful. The way we were able to learn each and every person's story made me realize that you can never judge anyone before learning their story. And what these kids will tell you is that they've learned how to talk to people, how they've, they've learned to go up to people they don't know, even the homeless, and listen to stories. They learned that some of these homeless people didn't make bad choices, but they were just bad timing. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter whether the homeless person made bad choices or it was bad timing because each of them is an image bearer of God. Jesus tells us not to discern between those people that made bad choices and those who didn't. John 9, the Pharisees ask Jesus, who, who, who sinned that this man is blind? Was it his parents or was it him? And what was Jesus' answer? No one. He's blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. He says, let's get to work and serve everyone we possibly can because there's going to be a time that comes when we can't do that anymore. So serve the poor, the blind, the lame. And again, this has practical application. And while it is good advice, it is a parable, which means it's not necessarily about throwing parties for the poor. The reason we don't get to discriminate between the homeless man that made the bad choices and the homeless man that fell on hard times is that we all, he and he and I and you, have the same story, that we are all incapable of pleasing God on our own. Every one of us is totally depraved. We all need a Savior. And some of us know that, but there's a lot of people that don't. And how do those that don't know learn without being told? Jesus can't appear to them in dreams, but, but the Scripture's full, and it tells us that it pleases Him to use us, those who do know. So if you are in this room today and you know the saving grace of Jesus Christ, you are the rich man. You are the rich woman in this story. Invite the poor to dine with you. Make sure that you are taking time to speak with people outside of the church, those who don't know the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and let them know of the riches that you have. Westminster Confession, chapter 35. Since there is no other way of salvation, since there is no other way of salvation than that revealed in the gospel, and since in the divinely established and ordinary method of grace, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Christ has commissioned his church, not the building, the people. If you know Jesus, you, me, he's commissioned his church to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations. And that's what this whole sermon series has been about making disciples by living out these charges. So throw the party and invite the poor. Invite those that don't know Jesus. Bring them to worship. Serve them. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. And why can't they repay you? Because you already have it. How can they repay you what you already have? 
If you know the saving grace of Jesus Christ, you already have it, and those people can't repay you, but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When you're tempted to exalt others, consider exalting the humble, those that don't know Jesus. Bring them along because that's where you get the blessing by sharing your faith. And lastly, when you're tempted to exalt no one, follow Jesus' example. Our story today starts with Jesus doing exactly what he would teach about later on in the house. Verse 3, and Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they remained silent, but he took him and he healed him and he sent him away. And here we have Jesus invited to a ruler of the Pharisees' house. And the way that the New Testament speaks of uh, the Pharisees is not very good, right? But let's give them a little benefit. These are the leaders of the church. The established religion. And a man who's claiming to be a rabbi, a man who's claiming to be the Messiah, has to be looked at and tested. He has to have a lot of conversations with these people. I'm in a stage of my life right now where I am trying to discern my calling in ministry, and I have a lot of meetings with a lot of people, from elders in this church, from elders in the presbytery, people in my school. They, they, they're testing whether my heart is there. They're testing whether my education is there because they want to make sure that I am leading people to the feet of Jesus. They need to evaluate my intentions. And so I have these meetings. But my meetings with uh, the people I meet with are a little bit more encouraging than Pharisees were to Jesus. But here's one of those meetings where the Pharisees are testing Jesus. Notice how, G- how Luke says that Jesus responded. If you were to look before these verses, there's no question asked. There's like sort of a page break, and here we are at this next story. There is no question asked. But he's responding to the Pharisees planting this man with dropsy in front of him on the Sabbath. It's a plant. It's a test. Just like John's account of the incident of the woman caught in adultery, it was a test. Just like the the young lawyer who asked, who's my neighbor? It's a test. And Jesus takes this test and he turns it completely around and he changes the question. Because most of us know that the fourth commandment forbids work on the Sabbath. And most of the Jews at that time would, would agree that there has to be some work done on the Sabbath. And some of it's even necessary, and so they permit it. Healings of a life-saving magnitude would have been permitted on the Sabbath at this time. But here's a man with dropsy. Dropsy is not a life-threatening deal. It's it's hydropikos, hydro in Greek. It's water. He's swollen. He's got a collection of lymph somewhere. It's not imminently fatal. He's going to be fine. And so Jesus is being tested because they're assuming that he's going to heal a man who has a rather inconvenient disease instead of a life-threatening illness. But Jesus takes their test and he asks the question, 
is it legal to heal on the Sabbath? And their lack of response shows that they know that he is now in control of the situation. If they answer that it is legal, then they're soft on the law. If they answer that it's illegal, then they're not very merciful. And so hearing no objection, Jesus goes ahead and heals him anyway. Because he had essentially asked permission. But notice where Jesus goes from there. He calls out their hypocrisy. Now, before I had kids, I was the greatest parent that ever existed, right? I could look at you and tell you exactly what you were doing wrong with your children. Greatest parent ever. But Jesus says, what if your kid fell in a well? What if it was your kid? Now, some of us, a young me, would say, you know, that other kid, he deserves to be in the well because he should have been paying attention, right? He's walking along, he falls in a well. He should probably stay there because he's probably going to be okay. But, but Jesus takes it and he makes it personal. So have you ever driven past a person with a flat tire? Why would you do that? There's somebody on the side of the road that needs help. We do it because it doesn't involve us. It's not my friend's. It's not my family. Why would I go help them when your immediate circle of friends is not impacted and we're dealing with the law, whether it's keeping the Sabbath? Absolutely. Keep the law. Whether uh, when, when the law says something, something about something is divisive in our culture, sexuality, when it's not dealing with us, when it's not dealing with our friends, absolutely, somebody else, keep the law because God made it that way and that's how he wants it. But Jesus takes it and he says, what if it's your kid that fell in the well? He makes it personal. And so when you apply that law to someone in your circle, maybe it doesn't change the answer. Maybe it doesn't say that, okay, break the law. But maybe it makes you change your approach. And instead of condemning from someone from a distance about their sin, you walk alongside them with the hope of reconciliation and repentance. If it's my kid in the well, absolutely, I'm going to run to the well and pull the kid out, Sabbath or not. So Jesus looks at the man and he recognizes his need to be healed and he heals him. The purpose of the law is to show us how to love God. And the greatest commandment of the law is the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. So if you see someone in need, whether it's your family or not, help, serve them. Stop to help the person with the flat tire. Pay someone's water bill. Look at their deepest need and invite them to worship. When they're poor, they don't know Jesus. And if you know him, you are the rich person. Share with them the riches that you have. Jesus looked at the law. He knew its purpose and he healed the man. So when you're tempted to exalt no one, when you're tempted to just live your faith all by yourself, when you don't know whether you should give mercy, when you don't know whether you should help someone, look at Jesus' example. He, unlike the party guests, knew how to humble himself. He knew the law. He knew God's justice. 
He is the second person of the Trinity, God eternal, and he humbled himself by becoming a man. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's given us an example of how we can humble ourselves to serve others and in doing so we're serving him and we are loving him. So yes, read the Scripture, read the law, know the law, but do not use it to tear someone else down. Use it to submit yourself to it, to Him. Make sure that you are building others up with it. And so when we are making sure that we are doing that and that we are being humble and serving the literal poor and and the figuratively poor, those that don't know Jesus, We are allowing God to work in us and through us for His glory. We are allowing or we are following His example that we celebrate on Christmas. God, eternal, condescending from heaven to become a man on earth. He came humbly serving people, loving them where they are. Because of Jesus' example, We should humble ourselves before him to love and serve each other and those outside of here, making sure that we recognize that we are the rich man and we can share that with others. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus who came to earth and came as a man lived a perfect life and paid for our sin. God, use us. Humble us before you. Help us to serve those that don't know you. Help us to give the riches that you've given us to others. Use us, God. Fill us with your Spirit. And use us. In Christ's name, amen.